you know, uh, it's there's a, there's a lot of people talking into the transfer of wealth, and uh, and not many of those people are actually part of it. They're just pontificating about it, and uh, and so I kind of wanted to come at this with uh, with my two cents, having experienced, I guess, some of it, and um, and and just kind of bring it, make it kind of practical because. Because there's a lot of people talking about it and and prophesying about it, and and that's great. We need that prophetic voice into this space, but it does lack a little bit of the practical element of of how this actually plays out. So I just wanted to kind of talk into some examples of the transfer of wealth, why it's so important, and I guess why now. Well, it's because it's in these times, meaning a pandemic, if you want a modern word, uh, a famine in the land, if you want you know Old Testament kind of language. Uh, it's in these times that the transfer of wealth takes place. Okay, it's it's usually at it's usually either war uh, or uh, you know or a you know some some sort of some sort of famine, some sort of breakdown in society where the transfer of wealth happens. Okay, so so where does this come from, right? Let's just pick a proverb to start with, and you would know this one. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, right? You, you would have heard that uh, at least 4,000 times during your, your Christian life. And, uh, but it goes on to say, uh, but the sinner's wealth is laid up for the righteous, or the wealth of the wicked is, is stored up for the righteous. Interesting how those two scriptures are actually back to back. Why is it? Why is it that a, a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children? And, and an inheritance, by the way, is not just money, but it certainly includes money or wealth or substance, if you want to drill down the actual word in Scripture. Okay? Because God actually wants the wealth of the kingdom to stay within the family of the faith. God wants wealth to be in the hands of the family of the faith because he knows that they're more likely to want to use it for good deeds, to advance the gospel, to advance the kingdom, to help the needy and the poor and the weak, right? That's far more likely to happen in the hands of somebody in the faith than it is for somebody outside the faith. Not that it's exclusive. There are people outside the faith doing good deeds, but generally it's the people within the faith when they have money that use it for good purposes, right? But the wealth of the wicked is stored up for the righteous. And interestingly, it doesn't say in Scripture uh, the wealth of the wicked is stored up for the follower of Jesus. It doesn't say that the wealth of the wicked is stored up for the believer. It actually calls us to a higher standard and says the wealth of the wicked is stored up for the righteous, which means that the hallmark, right, the, the criteria, if you like, for God to decide who he's going to transfer wealth to is the righteous, which means our dealings must be righteous. And, um, and so that's, that's a high standard, right? Because I guess what we're going to be talking about here is 180 degrees opposed to the patterns of this world. The patterns of this world are make as much money as you can, screw anybody to get there, cross any moral boundary to get ahead, like, you know, fiddle the tax man, right? Whatever you need to do to make sure that you are profitable. And I meet people all the time that, that, that even Christians who say to me, God prospered me. And then when I ask about some of their dealings, they have literally pilfered and raped people their entire life. And they believe the Lord prospered them. And sometimes I say to them, I say, listen, God did not prosper you. You know, like he, he's not going to bring increase to you if it hurts somebody who's poor and weak, right? That's just not God. He's just not going to do that. You could have done it in your own strength. 
you you could have you could have fleeced them in your own strength. There's no problem there, but 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 don't put that on God because it's not His character to want to subjugate one of His children for the sake of you know profiting another one. So so let's let's kind of have a bit of a look through history on this because it's important for me that you and I are at the forefront of seeing the supernatural trans- transfer of wealth in our lives. And by the way, it's a it's a phenomenal tool for evangelism because when people can see that you're not good enough to have achieved the wealth that you've got, then they want to know why. When they can see it as a witness in your life, then then they will want to it will be obvious that it wasn't just you that created it, all right? And uh, and that's very powerful. It's very humbling, but it's very powerful. So what are some examples? Let's go all the way back to um Let's go back to Abraham, right? So you know the story. Uh, he ended up being incredibly wealthy, but how did he get there? So if we go to Genesis uh, 24, 34, okay? Genesis 24, 34. And by the way, we could have picked a lot of different scriptures, but I'm just going to pick a couple uh, that I think are fun, all right? So this one here, so Genesis 24, 34 says, so he said, and he in this context is actually one of Abraham's servants. So it says, So he said, I am Abraham's servant. The Lord has blessed my master greatly, and he has become great. And he has given him flocks and herds, silver and gold, male and female servants, and camels and donkeys. Okay, so, so you know, the transfer of wealth in Abraham's day was livestock, all right? Now, it, it's, it's not the same today. Like, I, I'm praying that the Lord does not, deliver camels and donkeys to my front door tomorrow morning because I'm not really set up to take them, right? Um, now, probably I could work out how to do something with them, but but it would be a lot of hassle, right? Now, the silver and gold, I'd, I'll take that. Uh, but, uh, but, but, you know, I don't know. I don't know how I'd feel about female and male servants in my house either. That'd be kind of awkward. Can you just leave me alone? Um, but camels and donkeys, that would be awkward. So, so what does the transfer of wealth look like in 2020? Well, it, you know, it, it, practically it probably looks like um, stocks, uh, property, businesses, distressed businesses, things like that, okay? Um, we're talking purely material wealth here. There is more than one type of wealth, please understand. And I'm not trying to make wealth more important than salvation. I'm, I'm sure you understand that. So I'm zeroing in on the actual transfer of physical wealth. All right, so that's Abraham. Now, Abraham was blessed by God. Now, you know the cool thing is, he wasn't always righteous. He was not always righteous, but he became righteous, all right? So if you, if you, you know, as you read his life, in fact, he was pretty average at the start, and, uh, and then he caught some revelations, and he started to trade God's way, and God brought him that level of increase. All right, what about, um, what about Joseph? You guys would know this story, right? Let's go to Joseph. We've got, so we've got Genesis 47. Joseph is a, a little bit more obvious in the way that he, the way that the Lord transferred wealth um, to him and through him. So you know the story, right? Um, you know, God gives him a dream when he's young and gave, gives him a phenomenal dream, actually, you know, that the world will bow down and, and there'll be seven years of, of, of prosperity, seven years of famine, the worst famine in the land. And... Uh, shares it with his brothers. They get jealous, throw him in a pit. Actually, no, let's sell him on. 
then then he you know the, he goes on then he's um uh then he then he you know Potiphar's wife takes an eye to him unrighteous dealings he goes into prison gets forgotten about by everybody in prison like you know this is a tough life right you know like th- this should this should uh, this should make all of us feel good and uh and so you know and then and then one particular day he gets called in and uh, and then he's in in service to pharaoh and yada 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 he ends up being the governor of the land but <clears throat> This is how he deals with it, right? So if we go to 47.13 in Genesis. Now, there was no bread in all the land, right? That is a picture of severe famine. There is no bread in all the land. For the famine was very severe. So, uh, so that the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan languished because of the famine. Remember, God said, cursed be Canaan. So it was always going to happen. And Joseph gathered up all the money that was found in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan for the grain which they brought. And Joseph brought the money into Pharaoh's house. So when the money failed in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan, all the Egyptians came to Joseph and said, give us bread. Why should we die in your presence? For the money has failed. Listen, that's a prophetic picture too. This, this, this economic system that you and I find ourselves in, that we also don't live by, we find ourselves in, but we don't have to uh, you know, conform to, is going to fail again. So, so there's some lessons in here for what's coming. Um, then Joseph said, give your livestock and I'll give you bread for your livestock. So he is starting to see the transfer of wealth here um, because the money is gone. So they brought their livestock to Joseph and Joseph gave them bread in exchange for the horses, the flocks, the cattle of the herds and for the donkeys. Okay. So, so basically here he is, all this wealth transfer is starting to take place. And, 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 and I want to just shoot right down now to, uh, to, 47.25, so from 13, we just read 13 to 18. I want to jump down to 25 now because it says this. So they said, this is, this is the people now, the people now said, you have saved our lives. See, this is one of the outcomes of the transfer of wealth. The, it, it's interesting in this particular case because Pharaoh wasn't necessarily righteous, but Joseph was, and Joseph was the guy that made the decisions. So they said, the people actually confessed that you have saved our lives. So this was good for the people. This, this process that Joseph took people through, because he had a divine dream when he was young, because he had the, the ability to execute on his assignment, he actually brought a whole bunch of liberation and prosperity for his household, for his family, the extended family, right, that you read about, and all of the people of the land. Um, you have saved our lives. Let us find favor in your sight of my Lord, and we will be Pharaoh's servants. And Joseph made it a law over the land of Egypt to this day that Pharaoh should have one-fifth of everything that their land produces except the priests, um, which did not become Pharaoh's. So he was able, through that process, through the transfer of wealth, he was able to bring liberation to the priests because they didn't have to produce. They didn't have to give away. They didn't have the high taxes of everybody else so that they could be priests, which is wonderful. And the people themselves willingly said, we would love to become servants because you looked after us so well, right? That's the beauty of the transfer of wealth. When it comes to somebody who's kingdom-minded or God-minded, you can actually use it for great means. And that thing there, like you want to talk about cultural change, that, brought, that, that got rid of so much unrighteousness in the land of the day. Okay, so there's a picture right there. Let's just do a couple more. What about what about the people? What about Israel? Exodus, Exodus twelve thirty five. Let's have a little look there. Exodus twelve thirty five. You, you talk about a people group that the Lord prospered. Exodus 
whatever we said. Uh, Exodus 12:35. Now the children of Israel had done according to the word of Moses, right? So they are they the the people of Israel are doing it the Lord's way. And they had asked from the Egyptians articles of silver, articles of gold, and clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, so that they granted them what they requested. Thus, they plundered the Egyptians. So, now, the start of that's amazing. Now, the children of Israel had done according to the word of Moses, which obviously came from the word of God. So, so he had spoken to Moses, trade this way. They were actually doing it the right way in terms of all of their preparation to get out of there. And because they did it God's way, um, they were able to plunder the Egyptians and God produced favor on them to be able to do that, right? So there's a huge transfer of wealth. We've got the, the, the Israelites about to embark on this great journey and the Lord creates a strategy for the transfer of wealth to go from the unrighteous Egyptians to the somewhat righteous Israelites. Well, they were probably righteous at the start of their journey. All right, and then off they go. Uh, what about Solomon? You guys know about Solomon. So if we go to 1 Kings 10.10, 10, uh, you know the story of Solomon. Now, this one's an interesting story because it doesn't end super well. But we can see at the start of his journey um, that, you know, like you remember if we go back a little bit, God says to Solomon, what would you like? And we talked about this yesterday. Solomon says, actually, all I really care about God is I want a heart to govern your people like my dad did because he was good at it and I want to be good at it too. And God says, well, that's amazing that you've asked for a righteous heart. Uh, so because you didn't ask for your enemies and wealth, I'm going to give you both. I'm going to give you the ability to lead and wisdom. And we know that there's a fair bit of that in here. I'm also going to give you riches and your enemies. So, so fast forward a little bit, and, and now he's, he's, he's building the temple. He's, he's doing his assignment. And you talk about the transfer of wealth. Read this here. So Solomon 10.10. 10. So uh, you, this is, this is this, the queen of Sheba. So the queen of Sheba comes visiting, right? And, um, and, and she had heard about the wisdom of this guy, spends a little bit of time with him and says, no, 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 what I heard wasn't even half as good as the truth. You are the real deal, she says. And then she says, then she gave the king. So she gave of her own wealth, she brought to Solomon 120 talents of gold, right? So I don't know what a talent is, maybe even $60,000 in modern day terms, something like that. So 120 talents of gold, spices in great quantity and precious stones. Um, there never again came such an abundance of spices. Also, the ships of Haram, okay, so these were ships in neighboring islands who of their own volition brought gold from Ophir. They bought great quantities of almond wood and precious stones. So, so of their own volition, these nearby ships just would go around the islands collecting those things, precious stones, wood, gold, and bring them back to Solomon. The weight of gold that came from Solomon that came to Solomon yearly, so yearly, so the transfer of wealth from the neighboring islands to Solomon because he's doing his assignment, the yearly amount was 666 talents of gold. I don't know about you, but I'd be happy with that. Just give me five years worth. doesn't even need to be 10 years worth. Just give me five years worth of that and, and, I'll, and I'll be smiling, right? So, so there is obviously a caveat, and the caveat is those people had a heart after God, 
and they did not conform to the patterns of the world at the time. So obviously we're building a case here on how we need to operate. If we go to the New, the New Testament, right, because we obviously need to, to balance it, the New Testament has some stories like that, but they're a little bit different. They are couched in warnings, right? When it comes to wealth and the transfer of wealth, the New Testament has a lot of warnings about uh, the lures of wealth and how they can completely destroy us, as you guys know. So the stories are a little bit different, right? And so what have you got? You've got... Um, you got Luke 5. So you know the story, right? The fisherman had been out all night and had caught nothing. And uh, Jesus says, oh, I'll come and have a yarn with you. And he goes and has a yarn and says, actually, drop your nets to the other side and see what happens. And there is a, you know, they, they catch a, a, a net-breaking boatload of fish, so much so that the neighboring boats had to come over and help them, right? Now, you might be thinking, and then, of course, he says, that's amazing, but I'll make you fisher of men. Come with me. And they did. But just think about that very quick transfer of wealth that took place, right? Right before these boys stepped into their ministry of fishing for men, they ended up with a massive catch. They would have had a huge payday, and then off they went uh, to go and do what they wanted to do, all right? So, so you, you don't want to miss these things and just spiritualize them. They had, I don't know what they had. They might have had, that, that could be six months worth of fish that they got paid out on on that one day, right? I don't know. It could be three months. Who knows? I wasn't there. But that's an amazing transfer of wealth that took place in an instant by God, supernaturally, couldn't have organized it themselves. And uh, and then they went in and, and started to, they gave up with the sons of Zebedee. They gave up their fishing business for a while and they went and followed the Lord. Uh, what about the story of the of Joseph of Arimathea? You know, this is an amazing story in terms of the transfer of wealth because um, we only really read about Joseph of Arimathea after Jesus has died, and he was a tin merchant, right? So he was he was basically the modern-day equivalent of the minister for minerals uh, of the day. He, he traded minerals and, and things like that, and he was very wealthy. And, but, he, but, but no one really knew who he was, and he didn't prophesy. He, he didn't proclaim a, a big faith until Jesus died. And, and then he used his status in society as a, as, a, as a public figure, and he used the wealth that God had bestowed on him to go and buy the body of Jesus in the tomb, and, uh, and that was an amazing thing, right? But he was kind of a bit of a sleeper before that. But because God, the Lord had transferred wealth to him throughout his life, he then had the wherewithal to do his assignment, and he did an amazing thing in terms of getting the body of Christ and being able to look after it, all right? Well, what about even um, the story of, uh, of, of Luke? Um, Luke, Luke's, Luke was a doctor, but Luke was funded by Theophilus. Theophilus was a wealthy man, right? Theophilus was a dignitary uh, in the courts. And so he, he had made a lot of money in his life, okay? The Lord prospered Theophilus so that he could fund Luke to follow Paul to write the book of Acts. I mean, I mean, talk about a transfer of wealth in terms of doing your assignment. That, by the way, that is money. Like Theophilus's money I am so grateful that Theophilus, and you should be too, we should be so grateful. In your prayer tomorrow morning, thank God for the righteousness of Theophilus because he was obviously trustworthy enough that the God could bring enough money to his, you know, to, into his life that he could then fund a doctor, the only person that had the credibility to certify a miracle, fund the doctor to follow this raging apostle to document. And today, my benefit is I get to read the book of Acts. And uh, I tell you what, my Christian walk would not be anywhere near as good today if we didn't have the book of Acts. 
It is an amazing story as it unfolds. Okay, what about the parable of the minas? Now, this is not an actual story. This is a parable, but it, God is showing us a picture of what happens when somebody trades righteously or God's way. So, you know the story. A man is going off to a wealthy, he's going off to a faraway land. He's a wealthy man. And so he gathers up a whole bunch of people and he gives them a mina and he says, trade it until I come back. When he comes back, he gathers them all together and he says, give me an account. And one says, oh, I turned your one mina into 10. And, uh, and, uh, and he, says, he says, well done. I'm going to put you over 10 cities. One says, I've turned your mina into five. He goes, great, I'll put you over five cities. One says, I've turned your mina into nothing because I just buried it because I'm scared, right? I'm, I've got money issues. I'm so scared of losing money that I didn't make any money. I didn't actually trade, okay? I just buried it. And God says, slaps him upside the head and says, take it away from him and give it to the other one. Now, here's what's interesting. That's only, only three people came back to give an account. He gave minas to more than three people. The others just took their mina and ran away, right? Went on a cruise or bought a car or whatever. So he brought, he brought those people some wealth and they squandered it on their own lifestyle. They don't even feature in the story. I reckon God was so annoyed with them that he's like, I'm not even going to put them in the Bible. They're annoying me so much. So, so, so I guess, you know, that is the transfer of wealth and the influence that comes with it. One mina, 10 minas. 10 cities, right? All in one story, okay? That is a picture of what God can do in our lives when we trade his way and we do it for long enough that we can prove that we are trustworthy, all right? So there's some examples, but here's some thoughts. Here's some thoughts. The, um, our wealth, now when I say wealth, you have wealth today. It, because this is not about the amount. This is about the heart that is attached to the amount. Whatever wealth we have, lots, little, somewhere in between, it all, it all has to be held under the Lordship of Jesus. It's not, it's not mostly yours and partly his, okay? You, you, can, you can divide it out that way in terms of your giving, but actually all of it is under the stewardship of Jesus, okay? If, if, we, if, we, if, we, if we see that our wealth is ours and God has rights to a portion of it, we've already failed the test. We've already failed the test because it all needs to be part of the kingdom of God that we get to steward with him. Now, the other thing is the wealth is secondary to the responsibility of using business to advance the kingdom. The wealth is actually, the transfer of wealth is not so much about the wealth it's about the things that you can do with the wealth. It's about the responsibility of listening to the Lord and saying, what do you want me to do with the wealth? It's not about the wealth. And there are a lot of Christian businessmen and businesswomen around the world who are incorrectly beating their chest. God's prospered me and I'm rich and here's photos of my Gucci shoes and here's photos of my flashy cars. And, 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 and so God's blessed me. It's like it the wealth, it was never about the wealth. And if you had caught the fact that it wasn't about the wealth, you wouldn't feel the need to brag and boast about your own wealth that God has brought you because you would see that the picture is far greater. All right? It's, 
the transfer of wealth is not about the wealth. It's about the transfer, and it's about the responsibility that comes with the wealth, right? When you catch the gravity of what the wealth can do for the kingdom of God, all of a sudden, the wealth becomes insignificant. The journey is way more fun than anything you can buy with the wealth, right? So anyway, I'm getting a bit excited up here, and I only got one e-clap, so that's fine. Got a bit of work to do with you lot. All right, all right, all right. Um, I also think this. I think the wealth is not to be flaunted and boasted about. Just kind of going off the back of what I just said. I didn't say you can't enjoy it. I didn't say you can't enjoy it. But when, but when, but if, if the wealth and the status gets inside of you, then you have to trump yourself all the time to have a new story about how much wealth you've got. Listen, I think if there are preachers in this world that the Lord has prospered and then something gets inside of them that's unhealthy and they can't open their mouth without talking about the jet or the car or the thing or the whatever, and I reckon it's a mistake. Listen, we, we, if we're going to boast, we need to boast about the creator of the assets and not the assets themselves. We need to boast about the person that gave us and trusted us with the wealth and not the wealth itself, right? And, and, you know, and, and when I say there are people that are doing the wrong thing, they're mostly Americans, if I can be honest, right? There aren't many people in Australia who are doing this wrong. But in America, where they've got this, this, this Instagram version of a gospel in some degree, not, not everywhere, but in a large degree, I just think, I think, okay, so here's, here's how I look at it. When a, when, a, when a Christian person flaunts their wealth to almost be like the world, the world doesn't look at that person and see Christ. The world looks at that person and says, you're no different to you and me. You're no different to me, right? You, you, there is nothing about you that is set apart when all you're doing is acting like the very world that we're trying to stand out from, all right? So, so, so when God brings the wealth, have nice things, enjoy things. But I, I, think we, I think it's a huge mistake if we start boasting about the wealth. We need to boast about the person who created it, the wealth, and gave us the wealth. That's what makes the world go, really? You, the, you would make all this money and then use it for good deeds? What's wrong with you? I'll tell you what's wrong with me. Sit down. I'm going to preach for a minute. And repeat after me, dear Jesus. All right, like, like that's what sets people. That's what makes people go. That's what makes people go. There's something different about you, and it's attractive, right? When you live that selfless life. So you know we've got to find that balance. You can have nice things, like, but, but I think that we're boasting about the wrong thing if we start boasting about the wealth, right? And, and I think uh, I think there are plenty of times in the Bible where it was taken away from them when they did the wrong thing. So I think basically, essentially, is it that the righteousness will use the wealth for good and sinners will use the wealth for bad. And when I say bad, it's not always bad as in like crazy, you know, criminal corruption. I think it's bad when it's used purely for self. All right? We, we, we see the war. There is a war that has been going on from the opening chapters to the very end. And the war that goes on in this book is the war between serving God and serving self. All right? That war has been going on forever. Go right back to Adam's kids. 
Well, you could go back to Adam, but in a business context, you've got Cain and you've got Abel, and it comes time for an offering. And God says, right, bring me an offering. One brings fat portions of the best animal. One brings a few tatty kale leaves, right? And if you were going to bring something that's insignificant, it may as well be kale, right? Because that is the most insignificant thing on the planet. It is good for nothing, right? So, so, so he brings some kale. And what, is, what does God say, though? God says, hang on a minute, son. Sin is crouching at your door. Sin is about to devour you. You need to learn to rule over it, right? See, see, because he had taken his eyes off the provider and put it on the provision and then became greedy and wanted to keep the best of the provision and just throw away a few crumbs to the creator. Whereas the other brothers like, God, you brought the rain, you brought the animals, you grew them up. I don't own any of this. You want an offering? Here's the very best. And that, and that corruption inside of the brother just ate him apart. He had to go kill his brother. He was so jealous and so upset that God had chipped him. And, uh, and then, you know, from there on, we get the pretty ugly stories. These stories are everywhere, right? So I think that, like, I wouldn't want to be God, right? Don't, do you ever think like that? Like, I would not want to be God, right? Like, that would be, that's a, that's a tough job description. Um, because I think God needs to balance the transfer of wealth in our lives to our spiritual maturity to be able to handle it. So I meet a lot of people who go, oh man, you know, like what's wrong with me? God doesn't bring me any wealth. Why doesn't he trust me? I'd be great with it if it came. If you're saying those things, it's noble because you're obviously on the path to want to do something great for the Lord. But I think I mean, God's timing is God's timing, but I think we can prepare ourselves to receive from Him sooner, right? And, and that needs to be intentional. We need, to, okay, we need to show God that you are mature with what you have today. You need to show God that money doesn't own you. You need to show God that when you get a little bit of increase, you do the right thing with it. You need to show God in your dealings every single day that you do prefer others over yourselves and you do find nothing but win-wins and you're not fleecing anybody, right? And by the way, I mean that with the $197 transaction and the $43 transaction, right? This is not, this is not about showing God you're righteous on the big deals. This is about showing God that you can be righteous with a penny, right? This, this, is, this is how we show the Lord because he, he is so much of a gentleman, so much of a gentleman that the last thing he's ever going to do is bring the transfer of wealth to one of his children when he knows that it's going to be detrimental to that child. He's not withholding because he wants to. He's not withholding out of punishment. He's withholding out of grace because he knows that if he brings money and there's something inside of you that is a little bit off, then the money will ruin you, right? And you've only got to look at the lottery winners in Australia to see that that's the case. 80% of people that win a million bucks or more in Australia in the lottery end up in a worse place financially within 24 months. Think about that. They win a million dollars or more, and within 24 months, they've got less money than they had before they won the lottery. Think about that. Why is it? It's because when you get a large chunk and you don't have the maturity to handle it, the strategy, the heart of God inside of you to steward money well, then it will be detrimental to your life. 
God knows it from the lottery. So he's not, he's not a lottery. He's not prepared to bring something to us that will jeopardize us because he's a good dad. So that's why sitting here today, no matter whether you've got five bucks or five million, the question is, I want to show you, God, that I have the maturity to handle the bit that I've got now, and you can trust me with a little bit more. And then when a little bit more comes, I want to show you, God, that you can trust me with that little bit more, and then you'll bring some more, and then, and then, and then at some point, when he knows that there's nothing inside of you that will, be, that will jeopardize you, and there's no corruption left inside of you, he goes, all chips in. Come on, son. Come on, daughter. Let's go big. All right? That's why, that's why you can go from the prison to the palace in 24 hours. Because God knew that Joseph had passed the tests through his life. Okay? He didn't bleat. He didn't whinge. He didn't get upset. He wasn't, you know, kicking dirt, stamping his feet. He knew God was with him the entire time because he gave him a dream when he was young. Like, think about it. Why Joseph and not one of his 13 brothers? Well... Well, if you read through the brothers, they were a basket case, right? You know, only two were born out of righteousness. The, other t- the, the rest of them were born out of unrighteousness with an unrighteous bum, right? Um, two, like, like two of his brothers had been sleeping with other women apart from their wife. So if you think about it, if, if, if they've got lust issues, right, they were never going to pass the test with Potiphar's wife, right? Potiphar's out. She's keen. They'd be keen, right? They've just proven that they'd be keen. So... So, so God's looking for that person who has that time to say, Lord, you can trust me. You can trust me. I'll stick with you. You can trust me. You can trust me. You can trust me. And then I tell you that it's like a slingshot because when the money comes and it comes a little bit, a little bit, a little bit, but then at some point the money comes, you've got to show him. You've got to show him that you are trustworthy. And please, it goes beyond cutting 10% of your profit and putting it to church. It's beyond that. If you do that, that's a good thing to do. You should give more than 10% to your church. But if you have reduced the transfer of wealth, the riches of the kingdom of God given to his children, if you reduce the gravity of that down to throwing a few crumbs out of the profit of your business, then what you've basically said to God is 90% of everything is mine. It's not yours. And you have decided to swim in the shallow end of the pool. All right, we got to start understanding that there's a much bigger game here. Yes, tithing's a good idea. It's a great place to start. It's like breathing for a Christian. It's just a good idea. But you can't stop there. The journey has to be more and more and more and more and trust me with more and I'll give more and where do you want me to give more and what do you want me to fund and what do you want me to get amongst, right? And then over the course of your life, you'll, you'll be able to look back at some point and go, this is the wildest adventure I could have ever been on and I wouldn't trade it for the world. There are three things that I think that the Lord is looking for with us. One of them is how do we handle ourselves in a downturn? Okay, so that's why I'm talking about this with you today, because it's prominent now. I actually think that God looks at his children saying, I'm keen to understand how do they handle themselves when there's a famine in the land, a pandemic, like an economic crash, whatever. Because I think think how we handle ourselves in a downturn really shows which kingdom we are being part of, right? If, we, if, if the stock market crashes and we're all fear-based and, and, and worried and things like that, then, then basically we are conforming to the patterns of this world. If, if we could show God 
that we that we that we abide to a higher calling that we understand that this is the kingdom of this world but it's not ours and we're part of the kingdom of God and its economy is very different right you'll make money in season and out of season uh, seed time and harvest is never going away right that's what God says so so if in a downturn we, God can actually see the heart of his children and which economic system we choose to live by do we run by this one, freaking out, getting ulcers because our stocks are down and da-da-da-da? Or do we live by a higher one, which is like, I'll trade, God will bring me more, smart investments, make money, start giving it away when everybody else is panicking and holding onto their money, we still give, all right? That, that shows God that I do not conform to the patterns of this world. When everybody's freaking out and holding on and gathering up and withholding their giving, we can be twice as generous. That says, God, your kingdom is more important than my kingdom. And, uh, and, and that's what he's looking for, right? So how do we handle ourselves in a downturn? Number one is what I think he's looking for. Number two is I think he wants to see increased generosity over time, right? Increased generosity over time. So here we go. That is irrespective of economy. Increased generosity over time. See, so I've said this to you guys before and nearly everybody else that I talk to. If our lifestyle expenses... Houses, cars, schools, holidays. If our lifestyle expenses increase at the same rate as the profitability in our business, then there's no money left over to be generous with. You can't give any away. If your lifestyle expenses grow at a slower rate than the increased profitability in your business, you've got margin. And you can use that margin for good deeds, good works. Giving it to your church. Funding their pantry program doing their homeless feeds, da 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 da, 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 da. You, you can go and get amongst it. Can't do that, though, when you spend it all on a nice car and a nice house and a, you know, da 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 right? You just can't, there's nothing to give away. And like I've said to you guys before, if, if there's no money to give away, if, if your lifestyle increased at the same rate as your profitability, then I wouldn't be able to scratch you and see anything different between you and somebody that's not in the faith because that's how they live, right? That's... Uh, that's, be, you know, that's, that's just a recipe for disaster. That's the same corrupt system that has produced all the poor people in the world. So I think he wants to see increased generosity over time. And I told you yesterday, and please, when I, I, the, one of the things I struggle with is giving testimony and not wanting to brag. When, when I say I give money away, I just gave God's money away. Like, listen, he brings, he brings so much wealth to me that I didn't deserve, don't earn, didn't quite qualify for, and probably, you know, <laughs> like, so it... So, so I'm, I'm, I'm doing the easy bit, right? I'm doing the easy bit. I'm just giving a little bit away. So I'm not trying to build myself up here and say that I'm some sort of anything. I'm just giving away. God's done the hard work. He brought it to me. I'm just giving a few coins away, right? But when, when the pandemic hit, I just increased my giving 50%. Right? That was it. That was just a, I sat down with Kimberly and I said, hey, listen, our church is probably going to suffer a little bit. They may or they may not. I don't know. I'm not going to ask anybody. I'm not even going to tell them what I'm doing. I'm just going to do this, you know? And, and I'll tell you what, it feels really good. It feels really good to have lived um, without blowing all of my money, right, for the last eight years on whatever feels good, to have enough of a war chest that I can go, I can make that decision. And it doesn't jeopardize us as a family either to be able to do that, right? So, so that's, like, like I think that's what God's looking for, is somebody who grows in generosity, you know, from, from you know, year on year on year on year on year. And that's easy to do when you trade God's way because you'd have savings, you'd have reserves, you'd have those things that you can draw on in those times 
And here's the last one. Um, I think that God's looking for people that do not derive their status from their wealth. They do not derive their status, their peace, their identity from their wealth. Okay? If, if like, listen, if your, if your identity and your, your sense of entrepreneurship and your sense of purpose is derived from the stock market, then 50% of the days that you're alive, you're going to be happy. And 50% of the days you're alive, you're going to be sad. All right? Because that's what a stock market does. And actually, if you take a long-term view, there's going to be, if, if your peace is decided by the stock market, then there's going to be a point in the future where you have no peace for five to seven years because there's another crash coming. We fixed the GFC with more debt, which means we didn't fix it. We patched it up and kept it going, right? So there is going to be another large crash at some point in the next. Ten years. It's a safe bet. So, so think about it. If your, if your peace is decided by that, the next crash will go down for years. You're going to have no peace that whole time. Imagine living five years with no peace. I mean, some of you have been like, I haven't really had any since the week I became a believer. But, like, they're just bad mechanisms for, for that. You know what I mean? I just don't want you to, to be deriving your status from the wealth. Because what that means is if, if you're getting your status from the wealth, then you have taken your eyes off the issuer of the wealth and you've placed it on the wealth. Mate, that's a recipe for disaster. That's what the Israelites did all the way through their wilderness. Oh, we're so for you, God. Oh, we've forgotten six minutes later. Now we're doing it our own way. And then he sends a miracle. Oh, that's right. That's right. That God that we gave our life over to. You're the only true God. Six minutes later, I've got seven gods. Right? That's how they lived, right? So that's, that's the, they did the same thing. One minute they had their eyes on God like you did or do. I don't want to judge you from here. But if your eyes start to slip off God and onto the things that he brings you, this is the test of the transfer of wealth. If he brings you a little bit of wealth and you all of a sudden hold him at arm's length because you're in love with the wealth, don't expect no more. Don't expect no more. No sleep, no rest. Might crash, might wreck. But first I stretch. Tell him run it off.